Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy, and expert coach, Nick Nanavati. Everybody, welcome to part two of the Art of War podcast this week, where we're talking to Aiden Smalley, talking about Death Guard taking down a grand tournament. That's right. It is 2022. I just said Death Guard won a grand tournament. I always believed in him. <laughs> I don't believe it. There was a line in the last episode where you were like, this new meta of playing Marines and Rhinos, and I almost died laughing. It's a good thing I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Is it uh, 1999? You know, it's like, uh, oh. Dude, and especially... The, the army looks like a battle force, you know, like I'm super excited about it. Well, well, there's some choices, you know, in the list that I want to talk about. And in, you know, one, you can't argue with success. You cannot. And you know, people, you know, you had to get through some, some tough competitors and, and, and we can talk about some of those matchups, uh, but you know, I think we're going to see a lot more space Marine armies in general, just the space Marines, space wolves, blood angels, uh, absolutely death watch. You know, this might have been exactly what they needed to kind of push them over the edge to where they're going to be, you know, you don't have to just dodge them and fade them in round one. You're going to see them in round two and three, you know, potentially even deeper in the tournament. And then also things like, you know, Thousand Suns, you know, but talking about Space Marines and the, all the various things that they can bring to the table, you know, what, what are your thoughts going into those matchups? So, versus of a power arm armies. Um, so obviously when this uh, Armor Contempt came out, it kind of changed my sort of like list ideas and approaching. So um, there's always been a question in the Death Guard community called which uh, contagion is the best contagion? And a lot of people like the inexorable contagion, which is um, basically increases your armor penetration, your AP by one against any target that's within the contagion range, which is fantastic and it's great of course and now in armor of contempt meta with your high ep weapons you know having it's basically people are saying it's the natural counter to armor of contempt and while it is admittedly um in my list most of my shooting is ap zero anyway so um it would be really you know counter synergistic for me to increase my ap by one to drop my ap back to zero (laughs) so I kind of doubled down more on the melee aspects of my uh, army. That's why I went for the Mortarian's Anvil to sort of make sure that even if I'm not going to be one of those armies that charges and obliterates people now because of Armor of Contempt, I'm going to win the grind game, if you know what I mean. I I can spend two turns in combat with something on an objective because I can guarantee without their rerolls and with all my rerolls, even without the highest AP, I'll be the one that comes out on top. But it also did sort of influence why there is a mixture of swords in with the Terminators and the Blight Lords. Most people will just go pure axes. Uh, I think that's going to be changing to... I still wouldn't recommend pure swords personally because the swords are great, AP3 instead of AP2. But the strength 1 puts you to strength 5, where the axes put you to 6. And there is games where you will run into Dreadnoughts and wounding a Dreadnought on 4s at, um, at AP1, would it be now is usually more reliable than just trying to hope you get fives to wound them at AP2, and usually weight of dice, and again, that that grindy attrition. You don't need to one-shot everything you come into combat about with. You're not, uh, you know, you're not flimmy, you're not harlequins. You, you can take the punch. Um, and with that armor of contempt in there, I know that when they come in with their AP2, 3, 
And I come in with my AP 2-3 that as long as I'm denying them their efficiency from rerolls and synergies and I'm I'm getting my synergies, that it might take a turn two, but I will come out on top in that fight. I know we're, you know, at least I'm coming in from a little bit speculative because I don't, I don't know that people have settled on what the best Marine list is yet, but I know it's out there. You know, I, I think there you can even make an argument for things like Hellblasters, you know, which have always been right there on the fringe. You know, maybe maybe that we see more of those, and so that higher AP shooting element coming into into the mix. Yeah, I do think the uh, I think the increase on AP weapons that and the value on it now is going to be really big for probably for the loyalists and potentially even for CSM. But as Death Guard, we don't really innately have much high AP shooting anyway. Um, so. Trying to double down on something that we don't really do well isn't something I'd recommend. Um, like our highest AP shooting is uh, entropy cannons, and they've just took a giant nerf back with the indirect. Still, still okay tank, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in on that. Um, I'd like I said, I'd probably double down on the whole melee aspect of Death Guard and that real grindy attritional fighting. I really like the style and approach you're taking with it. I agree. Trying to make Death Guard into a shooting army through Armor of Contempt is, is just not where it's at, especially with armies just getting more durable across the field. You have good melee, and that's a natural place to use your contagions instead of trying to offensively throw a Rhino forward to make stuff minus one AP or something. I think I think Mortarian's Anvil's where it's at. Um, I want to transition the conversation a little bit less away from like what you're taking and more into like how you're using it on the table like tactically so with space marines i I like to categorize them in like two different versions as an oversimplification of course there's the punchy marines paul loves them the blood angels the white scars that kind of thing and then there's the uh the shooty marines like the ultramarines and the salamanders and the iron hands so obviously they play super differently but how do you approach each of those okay so um, we obviously know that one of the big talking points is Salamanders at the moment and their ability to turn off wound rerolls, which is obviously painful when your entire army has play weapons and that's where a lot of your power comes from. But um, again, that sort of comes into the, if they want to, well, Salamanders are a weird one. They're like, they can, they can shoot, they can melee. Um, I'm not sure, what would you classify them? Would you classify them as punchy? I, I don't know. They're kind of the in-between. They walk into the middle of the board and just say, they kind of play your Death Guard style right back at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess in, in that matchup is a case of, well, I'll turn off your rerolls, you turn off my rerolls, but I've got minus one damage and, you know, T5 and you're now T3. <laughs> so I'd, I wouldn't worry to people really worrying about the whole turning off uh, wound rerolls, but I still think naturally in the combat against most Marine armies, I'd say, the advantage is with us because the amount of things going for us in our combat is, you know, turning off all their rerolls, hit and wound. And then we have the natural contagion, so we're wounding them naturally. It's basically plus one to wound for most of our weapons at that, at that point. Um, so I wouldn't really worry too much about combat marines. I think the scariest part of combat marines comes more with the space wolves and the blood angels. And you notice my list doesn't have a foul blight spawn, <laughs> which is something that I go back and forth on because, I don't as know you how said, you're in without a foul blight spawn. What's the thought process there? <sighs> So I've had it happen before where people who know your army can abuse the Foul Blight spawn against you, um, especially when you're running with stuff like Plague Marines and Rhinos around. Um, it's quite easy for them to charge into something that's not a threat. And then because they no longer count as charging within the six-inch range, they can actually pile in and fight whatever they want because they technically haven't made a charge. Um, so they can pile into your characters, pile into your death shroud, and still, you know, swing first because you're not in combat with them. But before the piling, um, 
again, that's sort of helped out by me going Mortarian's Anvil because you do have the heroic intervention, so they can't pull that stuff on you so much. The Foul Blight Spawn is really something I'm sort of going back and forwards on. Um, it's it's really hard to not want to take him. 100 points is quite a bit, but I would say potentially that was one thing I might be looking at. If if we see a resurgence of power armor melee armies, then I think it's a no-brainer. I'd probably just cut out, you know, free Death Shroud maybe. Um, I think they are coming back. I mean, just yeah. already seeing Terminators, just people flocking to them. Now, I don't, I don't know that we know that they're going to do as well as maybe they expect, but it, you're definitely going to see them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, I think the power armor <laughs> rise up is happening. Um, so for melee marines, again, it, it's a case of sort of watching where the meta goes because it depends. We know marines are obviously going to make quite a resurgence, but it's whether the power is going to be in the melee aspect or the shooting aspect. The shooting, I'm not too worried about. I was shot by Tau and Eldar all weekend and. Armor of Contempt plus keeping some guys in cover on Terminators is uh, hard to shift. <laughs> so I'm not super worried about the shooting. Um, uh, again, if people want to take Hellblasters, then they can feel free to take Hellblasters because I'll just make that damage 2, damage 1. Don't really care. <laughs> it still requires an absurd amount of firepower to put me down. Um, Eradicators I think that, particularly challenging for you? Because they don't care about you receive. So, Eradicators are a weird one. I haven't seen an Eradicator in quite some time. I haven't seen Space Marines in quite some time, to yeah. be honest with you. It's like all these I problems if, we forgot about are resurfacing. <laughs> yeah, I think if Eradicators come back into the, the sort of like the forefront, that's kind of when you'll start looking at potentially... You know, so I said about the Cloudfly strategy, um, because that's done at the start of your opponent's shooting phase, you can see their movement and what they're lining up. So, there's... There'll be games where Eradicators can hop out, obviously intending to shoot your um, Terminators. You can pay 4 CP, which is huge. Don't get me wrong, it's a lot of CP. But if it's going to guarantee you know, you get a point or you manage to hang on an extra turn to do whatever you need to do, it can still swing games. At that point, we're starting to look at using the Rhinos as more of a, I'm going to just sit in front because if Eradicators want to shoot a Rhino, that's fine by me. Um you know, 80 points, little sacrificial unit, obviously not ideal to just be throwing away units, but I think that's probably your best bet. Eradicators are a tough it's, one. It, it's a clever it's, plan, honestly, yeah. Because I agree, your, your army's tough enough to just shrug off all the shooting in the game that's not crazy, and Eradicators seem like the kind of firepower you may struggle to shrug off. So um, that Rhino Cloud of Flies trick, is so, I've used something similar, honestly, when I play Death Guard. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think there's this there's, there's certain like that's another reason I take Miasma over Petrescent. I do like Petrescent Vitality, which is the plus one strength, plus one toughness. But the the problem I have with it is one, it's harder to cast than Miasma Pestilence, which is the minus one to be hit. Um so it's a bit less reliable, but also like those kind of weapons that do scare me, like eradicators, etc., they don't care if you toughness five or your toughness six. But they do care about minus one to be hit. Yeah. That makes sense. You mentioned the psychic powers. Is it there? It is. It's one of the earlier codexes, and it seems like the the uh, casting ratings are a little a tad bit higher than maybe what we're seeing with modern modern codexes. Yeah, and there's no way in the codex that get plus one to cast, which makes as soon as you see the word seven, you're like, oh, that's getting a bit risky there. Because yeah, that's the average dice roll. But you know, we've had plenty of games where we've rolled below average for quite a few psychic phases. <laughs> yeah, uh, sevens are basically uncastable in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I know you, you kind of pick your secondaries very based on the exact situation, your opponent's army and the mission. That's something you can really develop after tons and tons of reps and experience with your army, which I love. 
and it's also very Death Guard esque. So uh, against Space Marines, if you could kind of summarize what secondaries you're looking to take, how would you approach it? So against Space Marines, I'm probably going to pick Stranglehold. Um, again, preferably on a five objective mission. Um, Space Marines really like O for Moment, and if there's an objective in the middle, they really like O for Moment. So they'll. But if I can get Terminators on that point and play the Stranglehold. Again, it kind of doubles down on not only am I scoring my points, but there's a good chance with Relaptic Assault, which is the sort of pseudo-heroic intervention, plus the obsec holding the center point, there's a good chance that I can start denying some of those easier oath points. Um, also, it means if they want to use throwaway units to put onto the middle, thanks for you know the, the jump board, because my slow terminators would love a free charge worth of movement to then start pressuring your home objectives. And um, So you can kind of turn oaths against them a bit, Obviously, it's going to be hard to make them, you know, not fail leadership. Although Terminators do have a one command point strat to give a unit minus four leadership in combat, which, you know, some games are won and lost by a single victory point. If you can make them drop a single point for not failing, you know, morale check, you know, if it's going to make the difference, drop that one CP. Best case scenario, which usually happens, they burn two CP. So you, you we win the efficiency trade. <laughs> Is there a situation um, where you, you don't think you'd be able to get your Terminators into the center of the board, at least very in the early part of the game? Whether they make it to turn three or four, maybe a different situation, but um what would so, what would keep what would they do to keep you from doing that? They'd have to shove a fairly durable unit on themselves. Um people that's again, that's the, one of the reasons the Volkite contempts in the list um, is because anything wants to stand on that point, turn one, it's got the range to just sit fairly well back and put some shots into it. Um, it's also why we do have a little Gribbly spawn, because if our Terminators can't reach it turn one, we can throw him up there. We can use Rhinos as well, um, which I've used on some five objective missions to, rather than play the center point, I'll play a flank point instead of a Rhino turn one and try. And then you, from then on, I'll transition into the center point from turn two when the Terminators can reach. Um, don't be afraid to advance your Terminators, by the way, people. A lot of people think, oh, I've got combi bottles, I have to shoot them. If no, if your goal is to get, we'll go and sit on mid, just, 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 you know, you know, start right off the yeah. couple bolt gun shots. Yeah, just get there as fast as possible and start sitting there as fast as possible. Definitely. Um, but I think, I think if the opponent was to put Terminators on the center point, that's going to be something where that's going to take a brawl to take them off. You're going to have to get into melee there. You're not going to pick them off with Volkites or bolt guns. But again, that's not the worst because I'm okay to brawl. I feel like I have the advantage in most brawls. Um, you know, so versus, let me uh, interject the question real quick. You had mentioned like typically your Terminator is just pick an objective and just barrel straight towards it. And obviously, yeah. in Space Marines, if there's a central objective and they took oath, it's like let's let's go to the middle. That's where it's at. Um, do you ever? Do you always deploy your, your Terminators basically on the line? as close as possible to the point you're trying to reach, the objective you're trying to get to? Or do you ever consider, like, I want to be behind terrain or a little more defensive? So um, it's like three categories. So one is the I'm against custodies level, which is let's just go on the line. Um, because from what we saw, what I saw at that event, the bikes are, with salvo launches are sort of, like, not great anymore. Um, so a lot of people weren't running them. So, you know, the worst thing I've got to worry about is Guardian space shooting. So at that point, you know, go on the line, you might as well. Um, then you've got the sort of middle range one, which I would consider something like a, like Salomon is where they've got some shooting units, some pretty good shooting units, but they've also got quite a bit of melee. 
And at that point, I would usually deploy as far forward as possible, but I would trail back and make sure I have some guys in terrain. So, so I have some guys on effectively a one-up save, ignoring one AP. Um, and then you have the, oh God, it's a Tau player level. <laughs> In which case, maybe consider hiding behind something else because you can pray you get first turn, but I guarantee you the second you deploy in the line hoping you get first turn, you ain't getting first turn, mate. And that is still, Tau is still Tau. People's, you know, the armor of contempt is great and all, but, you know, a lot of shooting is a lot of shooting and weight of fire will. If you will dare Tau army to shoot you, it really will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, cool. I just wanted to clear that up. It's a good well, Does the composition of the of the Tau army factor into that as well? I mean, is there is there something that you're? And maybe we're jumping to you know to a faction talking, but we can talk about Tau actually if if, if well, you want. Let's but, finish up Marines real quick and then jump right yeah. into Tau. I think that's great. So yeah, so if I was against Marines, it kind of get like I said, it, it kind of depends if they're if they're lining up on the line with you know, like you said, like two units are full of eradicators, like free redemptor dreadnoughts, all with a plasma and stuff like that. You might you might want to consider sitting behind you know an L or at least having a guy some guys in terrain to tank on that one up save, but if you're against something like Blood Angels, which we saw like your game um, where you were against Blood Angels, and obviously you just went straight for that middle point. You don't have to care about anything at that point. What they're going to do? Shoot you with bolt guns? Ooh, scary. <laughs> Yeah. So versus Marines, I'd, yeah, I'd take it as a sort of. I wouldn't just say, "Oh, this is what you do versus Marines." Always look at your opponent's list and just just have a t- like a free tier system, like I've made, which is, you know, barely any shooting, don't care, go on the line, whatever you want to do. That okay, maybe I need to respect this guy a bit more, and oh god, please hide or I'm going to die. Yeah, it makes sense, especially the way you categorize your army. You basically create a five-turn game plan because that's what Death Guard do, and then it's just a matter of executing and sticking to that game plan. So how you create that game plan is really uh, determined by your opponent's list and the mission and all that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think it's time. What happens when they do have, oh, God, I'm playing against Tau, and they shoot you in the face? What's the approach here? (laughs) Okay, so do you want the specific game? Oh, do you want just like a generic versus Tau? A generic well, versus look. Tau be better, but like, yeah, don't okay. be, feel free to draw from your game. If there was an archetype of that list or of your opponent, then you know maybe, maybe let's describe that as two because there are a couple of different ways to come about uh, the t- the Tau build. There's some depth in that codex. Okay, so <laughs> well, specifically the one I faced was 15 Crisis Suits. All with plasma, all with the septenant for sixes to win on plasma do models. It was made to it was the, and you won he was the guy who was giving me a lift. <laughs> he, he was made to kill me. <laughs> he wanted so, to kill me. You played against your buddy who drove you there, wrote a list to kill you, and then still won. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah, tell this story. <laughs> so obviously with Armor Contempt, people are obviously innovating their lists. So he he saw the sort of marine menace coming, so he was like, I'm just gonna go all plasma. And he all his suits had at least two plasma guns on each because, you know, strength is it still strength eight or is it strength nine tell plasma? I know it's AP four and damage three. That hurts. Um and then he went with the custom septenants to make all his plasma do sixes on six uh, sixes to wound do mortal wounds. So he was tailor made to basically try and basically pick up terminators. Um, so when I got paired against him, I, uh, I I may have you know got shaky knees a bit. <laughs> um, but the one thing that kind of happened and came through is that the Monkar nerf they got is starting to show a bit. And not so much in that list because it's all AP4 anyway. But when I was against it, he picked Kawion because he's been playing with Kawion a lot. Now, if your opponent picks Kawion, obviously they're looking to do 
most uh, impact turned three four five. So the idea was like if you pick Montcar, I'm probably I'm usually okay because naturally my contagion turns off wound rerolls and Montcar wants to force you close to your opponent. Um, so they shouldn't really pick that too much against you if you're Mortarian's Anvil. If they do, just whatever you do. You know, I said about keeping 2CP up for Cloud of Flies every turn. Just look at Flash Outbreak like that and keep it up on your Terminators plus the spell to increase the Contagion range. And if they want to get it within range for all their bonuses, like if they're playing Farsight Enclaves and stuff like that, congratulations, you may have got plus one to hit from your mark level. You've just lost every single reroll, um, which is a nice bit against it. Um, but... As, as the game went on and Armor of Contempt started to really shine, this is the game where Rhinos can make the Miracle Sixes. And when it does, your opponent starts to go, oh god, I've got to shoot another Crisis unit like and split shots. And as soon as the Tau player starts splitting shots, they're not happy. <laughs> so what I basically, the game plan versus it was bully off primary, as usual, but because the Blight Lords are such an absolute brick, and this was sort of a general strategy that seemed to work in more than more than this game, the idea is that the Blight Lords require so much tension, so much to kill, it draws your opponent's forces from elsewhere on the board to go and deal with them. And at that point, your Rhinos can swoop up and take the other side. And that is exactly what happened in this game. Um, the What would usually happen is a Crisis team would come down and just obliterate whatever it shot. And what did happen is a crisis team came down and shot and killed one Terminator. <laughs> well, um, so Miasma Pestilence, the minus one to hit, really does hurt Tau, um, especially if they're playing a pseudo farsight thing where they want to get within range for mark lights because it becomes a question of you can't get in range now to get your mark light because if you do that, it'll turn off all your rerolls. But if you don't come within range to get the mark light, you're hitting on fours and then Miasma's putting you to fives. Um, so it's sort of like the damned if they do, the damned if they don't approach for him. And I kept true to my guns. Um, I picked one objective in his deployment and, and I was like, well, in his board side, and I said, that, that's going to be mine. And I barreled a Rhino straight to it, turn one, uh, followed by the Blight Lords uh, close behind who just advanced because, again, don't bother shooting if it's not going to pick anything up. And versus the Tau... It turns out that it actually takes more than you think to kill 10 Blight Lords, and they can't come on the point, and they can't come near you. And it required so much attention, because basically his entire army is just the Crisis Suits, just three big units. So if you're against a Crisis Suit sort of spammer, if you can draw all his Crisis to one point to deal with something, the other flank is completely yours, and that's basically what happened. Um, the other flank was took by Rhinos and Death Shroud, and by the time he actually managed to finally mop up the last bits of Blight Lord, I was on his backfield home objective with the rest of the units, and it sort of just made his efficiency as minimal as possible. And when Carrion started kicking, don't don't worry, that that hurts. Oh god, oh god, that hurts. But try and get your advantage early against them if they're going Carrion. Of course, Montcar don't think's the way to go for them anymore, which is what I think the town meta is going to go like. But against Crisis, just try and get your points in early pressure the points because again if they want to come in range to stop you scoring primary and stop them scoring zero primary you can then do stuff like the heroic interventions you could again turn off all their re-rolls and it came in clutch quite a few times because you know three commanders and 15 crisis suits all shooting at you and i still managed to last my blight laws until turn four is pretty annoying <laughs> while scoring points yeah, while scoring points, obviously keep to your secondary plans and your 
uh, again against against an army like that, which is five big crisis bombs, and the deployment we had was the, the middle to corners. Um, teleport homers actually came up. You did teleport homers this game? I did. Yeah. Oh my god! Was all I, was, I was about to ask if the secondary yeah. choices had changed, but uh, it sounds like a kind of cavalier. Is, uh, <laughs> so well, let me get because, this straight. I'm just trying to keep this together. You ran the Blight Lords at him with a rhino, basically allowing you to cloud of flies if you wanted. And then he yes. he overcommitted. I don't want to necessarily say that, but he committed to killing the Terminators, which is a 15 crisis kind of job. So the rest of your army scooted up that left flank. As a you know, this is this seems like it's a choice on your opponent's part to just I'm going to choose to kill the Terminators. Had he gone for all of your other stuff, the other flank, the rhinos, the death etc., and just let the Blood Lords pick an objective and go get it, would that have yielded the results of victory, or would that have uh, you know? I'm glad he didn't do that kind of thing. So both armies was were playing uh, engage um, because I knew I had to get into his board off and start scoring, so it was kind of a natural. Uh, part of that so if he went and crushed the the top quarter i'd still be scoring engaged the same because i never held all four quarters until last turn i think um but i was always scoring three quarters so that that plan wouldn't have changed um again the teleport homers would have just simply came in on the on the blight lord side the reason i sent the blight lords to the because it was corner to half like i said i sent the blight lords to the corner um his corner deployment because it means that if he wants to deal with them it's easier to get the teleport homers in because there's more space, obviously, from the halfway deployment onwards. Um, but again, the same sort of thing would have happened if he'd have ignored it and gone to a crushing of a flank and just brought the teleport homers behind the Terminators. And if you thought killing, you know, a cloud of flies teleport homers with a rhino in the way was annoying, try doing it with ten blight lords in the way. <laughs> yeah, right. That's really cool, actually. I like that. And it, because his army had so few extra units, crew vespids and everything, because he went from maximum plasma cannon cyclic blasters. Um, that's what allowed you to take teleport numbers here, right? Yeah, and and he went for his um, the one where they have to get four points of the it's a tower specific one. I don't know what it's quite called. Um, there's like four points of the map. They have to do an action each of them. Um, he went for that, and uh, our dear friend the spawn basically managed to deny one of those quarters. Um, quite oh, nice. Spawn. The spawn. Good old spawn. Good old spawn. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. We both took uh, engage because you could do a lot of carry on going back into reserves, coming back on. So the spawn denied both engage and one of the four points off the specific tower one. So the spawn again showing his worth. How are, the, <laughs> um, how are there not three solo spawns at this point? This guy's the MVP. He, he's honestly he was so much. Um, I still went for stranglehold because it was a five objective mission. That wouldn't have changed because even if he went and crushed the other flank, I would have held still three. I'd have held his and my two safely rather than um, his opposite one. So basically, it would just flip the one I controlled of his. Um, obviously, would have dealt with the other half a lot quicker. But by that point, then he's got even less turns to come and free his home objective. And if he went to go and push my uh, my side of the board, rather than coming down to deal with the Blight Lords, I would have started the Blight Lords and the Rhino that was with them shifting up to his back, back home objective. So again, it wouldn't have changed strangleholds for me on that point. Um, so to, the, the the way he sort of dealt with my army didn't really change. Again, it's the whole idea of committing to the game plan. The game plan was take one of his natural ones, and then the second he starts to deal with it, pressure the other one, and if, you know, if that's if he's not dealt with the first half of that point, go and pressure his home field objective. And it wouldn't have mattered which way he went to deal with them. 
because if he went to deal with the Blight Lords first or whether he went to deal with the Rhyles on the other side first, I still would have took one of his home objectives and side pressure in his home objective. Uh, we, we talked a ton about like how to attack the scoreboard, you know, how to score points, which is ultimately, of course, what the game's about. But how do you decide when and where to engage against a, a, an army like that? I know you mentioned, you know, always go in twos, bring buddy units along with you because one <laughs> unit's not getting it done, except, of course, for this champion spawn, which we all know. Uh, can get it done. Do it. Uh, but when uh, do you des- decide to engage into these units that are that are well, one trying not to get grabbed? They want to be shooting every phase. So it's the decision for that game basically came down to the second he picked because um, we declared obviously you declared transports and reserves, and it sort of was dependent on what he did at that point. So when he said, "I'm going to deploy all my crisis suit uh, on the table, not in reserves." That made that sounds really weird because it makes me feel like, oh, you should be aggressive if he's not going on the table turn one, but it actually did the opposite because I knew they weren't going to be able to drop down anywhere. I sort of knew my presence could bully him to react. So that's why I sort of went all out turn one just to go and bully a point because I knew the crisis would would naturally, as any player would do, would want to react to the threat rather than sitting back, waiting a turn, because obviously you have to go and deal with something. Whereas if they were in reserves, I'd have to worry about, you know, oh, I can't have a gap in my top left corner because then I could lose that home objective. The second I knew it was on the board and like, this is like what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to fight this out. I just basically said to myself, right, I have the durability and I have a couple tricks, such as the clarifies, et cetera, to get me onto that point. And I just said in my head, if I can make it three turns on this point and drop him to four primary three turns, that's all I need. And it did, it did play out that way. If, if he'd have put stuff in reserves, you had to play a bit more cagey because then he sort of dictates the flow of like where he wants his army to be. It sounds like you're playing your army very, uh, almost reactively, dynamically, proactively, all those fun words for, for a death guard army, meaning you basically tailor your plan as much as you possibly can and you're you're attacking points to the exact setup you're playing against. Like there are units in reserve, I'll do this. There are not units in reserve, I'll do that. He has this many screen units, I'll take teleport homers. He doesn't, I won't. And I think that's really cool because a lot of times Death Guard find their their plans inflexible. Um they like this is what I'm designed to do. I'm slow. I'm gonna do it. Uh, I really like that your army has more options to really pick and choose its game plan out of like a variety of options instead of just like to the last every time. Yeah, I think I only took to the last once. Um, again, because I don't want every time you take to the last, you end up sitting there with units that you're like, right, your job is to just not die. And every time I did that, that's less units for me to go and play and make stuff happen with. Well, I remember I used to play Death Guard uh, a lot. No, I would take to the last like almost every time. I wrote my list to do it. And my one of my to the last was a like, unit of 10 Blight Lords. And when I would play against Tau, they would take a beating, go down to like a three-man unit, and I would go hide behind a wall. Whereas like you actually get to use those three Terminators. Yeah, I think it's that idea of that constant pressure. Because even that's, and again... When you probably played it, I imagine that's when Terminators didn't have OBSEC, and three Terminators isn't as threatening as one Terminator with OBSEC. <laughs> right, right, very true. Um, in the interest of time, I want to keep it moving. we got a, quite a few matchups to, to go through, so let's keep slamming these Xenos armies. Eldar, everyone keeps somehow missing the fact that these are really good. Um, they come in a variety of different list ideas, and most commonly I'm seeing, like, Hail of Doom, that's very popular, and Altway. So... Uh, if you have any experience versus those versions, how do you approach these these pew pew monkeys? 
So the Ulfway I went against, uh, oh dear god, the Mortal Wounds. <laughs> um, the Mortal Wounds are a huge problem. I won't, won't deny it. They are it's no joke. None of your abilities really matter. Yeah, none of them. Um, so first things first, do not stack up, please. <laughs> Just don't stack up. Eldritch Storm is a thing, and yes, it hurts. Um so, those who don't know, Eldar can basically channel an orbital bombardment-like ability, but rather than having to wait a turn for theirs to go off, theirs goes off straight away. And um, if you stack up, you're going to eat a lot of mortal wounds on your characters, on your units, and if you like, if you deploy stacked up, you can lose the game right there. <laughs> when I, what I've been thinking about how I would even approach as Death Guard into Eldar, I just like give up when I think of Eldritch Storm and how many mortals Eldar is capable of doing. So, how do you deal with that? So, when I deployed, I made sure that the one the rhinos obviously help because rhinos mean stuff isn't so when i've deployed that game you know i only said to put five guys in a rhino um that rule sort of changed for that game because if an eldritch storm did go off turn one i'm fine with two rhinos taking uh, d3 mortal wounds or whatever d3 plus three whatever it is um but i'm not okay with my characters and stuff taking that so all my characters were in rhinos every, every single one that could fit on my little thing part of the tally man he was hiding away on his own um because i still need that cp cp is important <laughs> um so I basically did anything I could to sort of minimize um, the effect of him getting a first turn, it's like um, Storm. Um, so I had, like I said, I had the characters in Rhinos. I had more Plague Marines. I had 10 in one. I know, risky. Um, especially since he had the plane. But when I look at an Elder of a plane, a Rhino's probably not his priority to kill. He's probably going to go for the Contemptor. So that I kind of had that. I, I put that in my head i think um, it's a death shroud interaction to, to even think of like you could be thinking about it from the worst case scenario like plane flies up shoots the rhino i roll a bunch of ones but like realistically he's not even shooting your rhino because your opponent's not making a plan of he's going to roll a bunch of ones yeah exactly um and then for death shroud i put a unit in like teleport because again less units on the board less stuff to hit with the psychic storm and then basically whenever i deployed I only ever made sure there was two units next to each other. So double Rhino, Demon Prince and the Blight Lords, and then a Spawn and a Contemptor, and then the other three Death Shards and a Tallyman. So anywhere he drops the Storm would only ever hit two units. And that just doesn't feel efficient enough for him to ever drop it on me. <laughs> and he didn't. He didn't actually end up using it because he just, he, came, he walked around to my board on turn one. And he looked at it and it was, because obviously I had stuff behind buildings, he wanted to check it all. And he was just like, mm, yeah, nah. <laughs> so um, playing against Ulfway, definitely um, keep in mind the spot, the storm, and keep keep spread out for deployment at least. Um, going into the actual game, though, my god, the mortal wounds from executioners smites, and then the threads of fate making everything super smite super. You really need to make sure you have stuff that's going to be in front of your terminators, um, and that's basically what we did. Um, our our friendly you know our friendly rhinos etc started to take the shots for us because there was one of two things that could happen either he mortal wounded them to death which he you know some he saves out a lot of our guys power execution because that's targeted but it saves you from smites and at which point you don't really care if your rhinos getting smited you obviously you care but much less than you know terminators dying and there was instances where he'd look at it and go, well, I'm not going to smite because if I smite, it's just going to go into a rhino. And at this point, I'd rather use my casts for buffing spells, you know, guides, stuff like that. And then he goes to his shooting phase and you go, cloud of flies. And then he realizes he wishes he'd smited them rhinos because <laughs> now all these shots have to go into the rhinos. Yeah. 
Oh, so dirty. I'm over here nodding my head like, yep, all sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> it's a podcast, Paul. <laughs> I can't see you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's what I was thinking. Man, but I'm, but I'm, I'm engaged. I, re- I really love the rhinos and the spawn just keep coming in as like utility pieces and not just in like the use a rhino to soak an overwatch kind of utility. This is like you deploy your army differently because you're playing Eldar utility. Yeah. And the, the, the rhinos also really came into play versus because this was a very heavy aspects warrior, you know, super exacts everywhere. Everything's, you know, everything's turned up to 11, everything's upgraded, very, you know, finesse sort of army. And the rhinos, once again, just the utility shines through. It's just like, oh, here's a rhino. I'm gonna just gonna I'm just gonna charge this rhino to these striking scorpions and then pile in really weirdly to get in just within six inches of all these other aspect warriors for absolutely no reason at all. And then he's like, okay, I'll just take the free rhino kill, swings in and kills, and you're like, I'm gonna pay his two CP and I'll explode. (laughs) And like I don't like taking damage like that. They they are expensive and fragile, like mortal wounds across the army, like they're not a fan. No, they're not like this. You turn their own game against them. <laughs> so the rhino again. One of the rhinos came in clutch because you again you can flash out, break onto it, spread. And that's another thing against against Eldar, especially Ulthwaite. I actually did this game. There was a point where if I could get an extra three inches of contagion range on some plague marines, I could basically tag their crimson hunter with the minus one toughness, um, which would make it T five as a plane. Which, as you know, Volkite's being strength six, making something T five is rather tasty. And I was about to go through with my turn and be just be like, so I was thinking ahead. And I was thinking right, so I can cast the extra contagion range over there to, and then I stop myself. You're against Eldar, you aren't casting. <laughs> just, just write it off at that point. Well, they can't use so, fate dice to uh, buff their denies. Actually, so it is just oh, rolling. That would have been useful. Yeah, you just. I mean, <laughs> Not to say rolling off is a great plan. They could totally just roll higher than you. But it is not a broken roll-off. Okay, that's not too fair. Then. Okay, but still, the point is, the point I was making is I did I, I needed that plane dead. Really needed it dead. The plane came out and took four pulse laser light lance shots at my Contemptor, and I spiked three five-ups. Ah, spirit. Hot. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. But again, it's kind of like, when something like that happens, capitalize on it. So I was like, if I kill this plane now, it's going to be really hard for me to deal with this Contemptor, as long as I'd be safe with it, sort of, as long as I don't play silly with it. So, instead of risking the psychic cast and potential denial, I just flash outbreaks for no reason, because it increased your turn count by one, which added three inches range to it. Well, certainly not and for even no though reason. I didn't, yeah, you used TCP yeah, yeah, insurance policy, basically, <laughs> instead of trying to yeah. risk a spell. Yeah, exactly. I didn't need the no rerolls or anything, but... I, rather than risking it on that spell, I managed to then drop the plane to T5 and then the Volkite Contemptor picked it up instantly, just looked at it and was like, bye. <laughs> um, I, I love the plan and it really it, it shines through in how you've described your Tau match, your Space Marine match, and now your Eldar. It's you look for the exact scenario you in and try to solve it. Um and that's that comes with the reps and experience you put into your army. Like you don't walk into the plan of spike saves on your dreadnought and then respond by extending contagion range to make the pl- the plane toughness five that's not a strategy that's something you exploited in the moment because you're in that situation and that's i think what you're really saying with death guard is you you need to be flexible to actually be successful because it's so easy to get stuck into the this is what my army does mindset with death guard and that's not a winning strategy yeah i think i think as death guard there's a lot of stratagems in that book that just people don't even know exist um 
and knowing them can actually like really win games. There was an instance where I got my biology putrefier consolidated around by five howling banshees. There's a strategy in the book that you never see used where you can deal one mortal wound to yourself on a character, pick an enemy unit with engagement range, and deal two D three mortal wounds to it. I've always wanted to use that strat. Like every game I ever play with Death Guard, <laughs> I look for opportunities to use that strat and it never comes up. That seems like yeah. a pretty good opportunity though. It does, and that's the thing. And people, because again, Death Guard haven't been on big on the competitive scene, and people who play Death Guard a lot sort of go into the sort of like it used to be like Epidemius Demon Engine spam and stuff. You don't see these kind of stratagems, and they, they will come up once every blue moon. Like you said, you've played all these games wanting to use it, and it never happens, but knowing it exists. What you're saying is, is so true. The reason I know it exists, and this is after the fact that I played Death Card for a few months, I actually forgot it existed because I never actually got to use it. And then in the tournament, I was playing Jukari against Death Guard, and I surrounded one of their characters with a bunch of Incubi, and I was like, aha. And then they just killed all my Incubi. I was like, what the hell? That was really good. So, I mean, you can really take people by surprise by if you're playing one of these sort of like under underappreciated under sort of like represented armies and then you play it in a in an even weirder way that's not the sort of like not like you said this looks like a, this looks like a you know a gw promotional battle for us <laughs> it doesn't look like a standard we're going to spam all of all cons in the world um and it's those kind of like little interactions that you have to when you play an army that doesn't have as many tools and as much movement as all the new decks is because i wouldn't i'm not going to sit here and say oh death guard's got an s tier codex um it, it doesn't. I think it's got a massive power boost from Obsec and Armor Contempt. But against matchups like Ulfway Eldar, you need to know these little things you can do that are just going to tip the scales a bit more in your favor. You know, you know, stopping you guys getting shot. Because that's what I do against the Hail of Doom triple. Because there was a fellow there playing Hail of Doom triple Falcon with Dire Avengers. If that's the Hail of Doom build, correct? Uh, it really depends. My, my version actually doesn't run any Falcons, but I do run 30 Avengers. Uh, I use yeah, a webway gate to get over there. Okay, yeah. But instances like that, if they want to go for a big turn one play, in cases like that, I would deploy my rhinos again up front, potentially even just empty. And the second they do that big commit of all dire Avengers, I'll just cloud of flies again. And then, cool, you can shoot rhinos. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll pick all 30 of dire Avengers up, I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, not maybe not S tier, but you're coming at this with an S tier play. You're very familiar with the stratagems. You know when to employ them um you know do you do any like do you have a ritual do you any, do research do you do you uh refresh yourself on these stratagems before you go into each game or before you go into each tournament like what's well what's the strategy there kind of i know we're we're talking about specifically on the tabletop and it's kind of off the tabletop but it all applies knowing you had these things in your pocket so obviously um there's the staple sort of stratagems that you don't even really need to put any effort into remembering um it's like you know you plus one to wounds etc like that and a lot of the times when I'm playing, uh, when I'm doing practicing games, I will play with weird lists designed to try and pull off one of the weird stratagems. And I just use it as much as I can, even if it's not optimal in those games, because they're just practice games, just to sort of try and see the potential. So the Mephetic Blight Halls, where everything's minus one shot against them, and I played against Town, I was like, all right, he's got, he's brought, you know, six broadsides of railguns, they're all two shots each. And I'm going to put these Blight Halls right up front complete misplay but i wasn't trying to win the game i just wanted to see what happens if six broadsides shoot at these guys and i press that stratagem and just see is this stratagem worth remembering um there's certain stratagems that aren't such as you know the orbital bombardment um but then there's other ones which is i was playing rhino rush plague marine grenade spam and good lord if you've never had the blighting come into play 
and there's some real shenanigans you can do with that. Um, for, ex- uh, for those who don't know, Blightning is basically you can change free play grades in your army. It doesn't have to be the same unit. You just pick free models in the army. You can change their play grades to pistol six. And then there was a game where I came in from strategic reserves into combat with stealth suits because they were on my board edge. And you can come out into engagement range. And then basically he thought, oh, that'll at least stop him charging for the turn. Played that command point because it turns into pistols. They all hit in combat because of the stratagem. Killed all the stealth suits and then proceeded to charge the crisis with the cleaver. <laughs> and it's weird little interactions like that. That remembering these what these weird stratagems do can make a big impact. Because that went from being screened out by stealth suits to I'm going to abuse these stealth suits against you. That's so cool. Oh my God. I never thought of that usage. That's so esoteric. And like, when is that ever going to come up? But that's being familiar and flexible is, is all it is. You know, you're just looking for anything. It doesn't have to be stealth suits. It was a Crimson Hunter and it doesn't have to be the Crimson Hunter. It could be, uh, whatever. It's just, you're always on the lookout for weird scenarios that can come out that you can exploit with your mastery. I'll call it of the death card codex. That's awesome. Uh, I think <laughs> This is a bit of a time where we probably, we probably talk about like custodes and stuff, but we've kind of covered that with uh, with Marines in a way. Are, are custodes still going to be a factor? And if not, I mean, and I'll re- rely on both of y'all to tell me here what is the the next big meta threat. I mean, so just a quick, just a quick. Sorry, can I just say a quick note on custodes? Um, there is nothing funnier right now than taking it, walking terminators onto a custodes objective and go. You haven't got OPSEC anymore, have you? And he's like, no. And you go, shame, I do. And then you do exactly what they've been doing to you for the past four months. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I don't know if the, how custodies are really going to adapt. Could be a good episode to get someone on from the future and kind of explore custodies. Um, I do think, to answer your other question, Paul, though, Tyranids are, are going to be the new big meta threat, as we call mm. it. They seem to be uh, quite good, from what I can tell. Uh, have you had any experience against Nids, Matt? Or no, Matt, Aiden, I'm sorry. That's okay, don't worry. Um, against Nids before this, yes. Nids after Codex, not yet. I, I am going to be playing them this week coming. But I've I've looked into it a lot, and I'm going to say, I thought Wolfway Mortal Wounds hurt. Jesus, I am in trouble. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, if you thought Eldar did some mortals, let me show you a Malice Scepter. Yeah, and people are asking, people are messaging me saying, oh, what do we do against the Tyranid Menace? And I'm kind of in a mindset of, I think the book might be a bit too pushed to be worth checking into, if that makes any sense. Honestly, um, I've kind of reached I, a very similar conclusion. It's like, just wait a little while. GW seems to be on top of the nerfs lately, and uh, yeah, yeah. they'll find their place amongst the rest of us mere mortals who play real factions um, fairly soon, and then we'll have to reassess the situation. Yeah, I would rather spend my time and my my list teching into armies that I have a you know like a sixty percent chance, forty percent chance to beat, etc. Rather than ruining those chances to try and beat an army, I have like a five percent chance to beat. If that makes sense to you, I, I think that's a genuinely valid strategy. And if you're taking Death Guard to a tournament instead of bending over backwards to attempt to win the Tyranid matchup, uh, just stick to what you're good at and hope they get nerfed slash dodge them is a very reasonable thing. And it worked out for you. You won 5-0 and at this tournament, so that's awesome. Yeah, there's always a chance you're going to either dodge the matchup or you're going to run into someone that doesn't know. Like Even with a more powerful codex, they might not know all the little intricacies that you can do, and you can catch them out somewhere, and then suddenly that can snowball. So I'd rather rely on my ability to do that to someone rather than, like you said, ruining my list for the 90% of the other matchups. <laughs> well, in that line... 
Is there something you're looking out for against Tyranids or an approach you would take if you do end up hitting it the hard way? Um, so let's say every single player starts going into Tyranids. <laughs> um, there is... Man, it's really hard to say versus Tyranids. Um, obviously, Plague Surgeon gives you a 6-up versus Mortal Wounds and healing. It's okay. It's not exactly great. Um, if that was the case, I'd consider dropping to MSU Blight Lords, possibly, just to stop you know them being able to just jump on one thing with Mortal Wounds and me losing like my centerpiece of my army. I can at least have three five-man Blight Lords running around the place, causing a bit more trouble. Would I take the casters still with all the negatives to cast and stuff? Uh, that's hard to say. I, it's, a, it's a chance you could drop down to try and go, you know, abhor if they go in really heavy on Malaceptor Zone for ups, etc. And that's that's a potential thing you could look at. It's I think we will see them, heavy zone say. Like yeah, I, without it, at least a lot of zone throws. Well, you'll definitely see like Malaceptors and Flyrens, and that's already a lot of points on aboard the wedge. And then you see some zone throw units, and boom, there you go, score. But that's also assuming you kill all those Zonthropes, Malceptors, and Flyrants. That's like, you've won exactly. the game. Not an easy task. Yeah. So it, it, it's hard to say. But I, I don't want to sit here and make assumptions, because given that I've not played against the new decks just yet. I found no um, prisoners to be very useful against Nids, because they're just throwing, like, Ravener wounds, Warrior wounds, Pyrovore wounds, Venomthropes, Zonthropes. It's just wounds on the tables that you just have to get through. That's not bad. Oh, that was that was something, actually, though. Now you mentioned it. Um, spawn. <laughs> But um, 15 of the buggers, if mortal wounds become a thing. <laughs> Honestly, not only is that good mortal wound protection, but Tyranids, like Spawn are kind of like the same profile as a Tyranid. It's just a bunch of wounds, strength 5, toughness 5, and they're 2 damage each. They're actually quite good at killing Tyranids. Yeah, so if if, um, if the Tyranid menace of mortal wounds, etc. becomes a big threat, <laughs> I might be painting up some more Spawn and running out whole, whole 3 units of 5 and just being like, here's 60, is it supposed to be 60 wounds that to dig through oh, yeah. on mortals? Hell yeah, I'm all for it. With with command points being, you know, something that you are you use quite often, you know, I guess, to hang into situations or, or tip situations into your favor, there is a way to buff up a unit of spawn. You know, do you ever see yourself using that? What is that? Like, the grandfather blessing yeah, or something like grandfather's that? Grandfather's blessings. Yeah. Um, as it stands. No, because I use the spawn as a utility piece. But now, if you I, beefed up that unit, let's say you, you you end up going five deep in one unit. If I went five deep, um, probably maybe one unit. I definitely want to do it for all of them because I I sort of I need my command points to do my tricks and stuff, and not having them there basically re- returns me back to a sort of like a a vanilla play style of I have one plan and it has to go perfect and I can't react to anything because all my command points are gone. I actually just for experience sake i tried experimentally three units of three spawn and put grandfather's blessing on all three to get them that toughness six and minus one damage at three only three only three cp in air quotes here um it was affordable i would say that not cheap uh i was not impressed with minus one damage and toughness six and i, I kind of expected to be impressed by it because this was the game i could play against the blood angels and all those things in regard or two damage and i was like this is gonna be awesome they just got shot off the board by bolters like, yeah it just didn't help. That's the problem. If you give, even if you give them toughness six and the minus one to wound, five up saves, five up save. Then a day enough, enough dice will just force through one damage attacks on them. Yeah, and not to say it was like I'm glad I did that experiment. I know, but uh, um, wasn't wasn't as awesome as I wanted it to be. Is where I'll leave it. Yeah, I, I preferred them actually. The meta just gone versus I was using them as uh, 
you know, versus line of sight meta, I was using them to hold backfield objectives because three of them with the upgrade made night spinners damage one, and also the toughness six was really good against like SMS and airburst. That is unbelievably clever <laughs> as a counter to that stuff. I like that. <laughs> this, has been, this has been a good good talk. Hell yeah, this uh, I think been inspiring. I agree. Uh, well, it's it's one of those to where this this faction it's, it's a, it is a fan favorite, you know. But these even the fan favorites dip in popularity when we're talking specifically about what you encounter in tournaments when they're not performing as well. And I think it's it's still what we've talked about is beyond just being tankier, just having a better save, just being objective secured. There's a lot more that goes into actually winning the games. And Aiden, you've uh, I think done a brilliant job of explaining that and and have done it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, I think I think don't get me wrong. I still think there was an element of luck <laughs> in anything. Oh, come um, on, we rolled dice, right? But you're, you're taking some <laughs> of that luck out of the equation, and you know it's been cool to hear about it. It's it was it was an experience, that's for sure. Um, as it, as it was going on, it definitely I was I was a bit in shock myself. <laughs> was there a standout moment? You know, did in, in even in your last game? You know, what what was your last opponent, if you don't mind? Uh, that was the Ulfway Elder. And, and going into that, was there a standout moment where you where you thought, "I've, I've really got this. It's it's within reach." Uh, and then, did you think, it, did you kind of go into there? Oh, if I, I just have to keep from screwing this up, or did you have to keep the gas on? So they, the 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 moment in the final game that sort of made it was the when that Crimson Hunter and I, I failed to kill that Contemptor, and then. I saw the stars align. I saw because um, just before that turn was when the Rhino exploded and picked up a lot of Aspect Warriors, and I was like, okay. So and he, his bikes had came out to shoot because obviously his reps had been done versus pre Death Guard pre Power Armor. So he he's got certain expectations of damage output in his head, and they all fell through completely. And I was like, I smelt blood in the water, <laughs> and I was like, right, if this plane dies now, and I pick up these Aspect Warriors and I pick up these bikes. And then there was a there was a miracle like ten inch charge needed to make, which again wasn't wouldn't be it would be game ending if it happened, but it wouldn't be you know it wasn't reliant on it like but still there was still play about it. So I was like right, I'm going to go all in this turn. I think I spent six command points in the turn and picked up the plane, picked up the bikes, made the crazy charge, and at that point the the fella literally but when uh, it went oh, this is over. At that point, I, and I said, don't say it. I was like, it's not over. It's not over till this is over. I was like, no way this is over. But he, I think he knew at that point once he lost his plane, he lost both of his warlocks from that big charge and his big bike unit and his aspect warriors have been reduced to like two, two man, three man, four man from the explosion. All he had left was swooping hawks, bar off, warp spiders. And this was only turn two. It was, it was crazy aggressive game. And at that point, I was like, so long as I can keep hitting these mortal wounds not on the terminators onto somewhere else i'll throw away units to do it and these terminators reach his home objective that's it and then that's all stuck through that entire game and then sure enough last turn i had one blight lord one 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 blight lord left on one wound and he stepped onto my opponent's home objective and denied him all of his primary and i was like there we go <laughs> that's all we need <laughs> nice well, it does feel really good. I know this has been kind of a recurring theme for the, through the entire conversation of both episodes, but it does feel really good to have your own Terminators in your opponent's deployment zone. Yeah, it's, I feel it's like you've, you've won something right there. <laughs> it's one of those concepts next, next to your teleport extra bonus board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Aiden, is there anything we've missed? Is there is there some you know 
secret sauce, something you know that you feel is in, in just very super important to the army that that we haven't gone over. The solo spawn. Um, we can't. We gotta give him another shout yeah, out. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, solo <laughs> spawn. And and test test weird weird secondaries that no one takes like teleport home is you'd, you'd be surprised <laughs> you'd be surprised at how people when you're playing an underpowered army people sort of brush off the matchup and you'd be surprised what sort of magic you can you can pull off and really just read through them stratagems because there is some stuff that like like we said will come up once every blue moon but when it does it can honestly just win games. Yeah, I'm. I'm. New life mission is to find that use for that. Turn your uh, the lightning strat and then kill some stealth suits or something. <laughs> that's that's awesome. <laughs> then looking slightly forward, you know, as as you evolve this army, I know we've you know you know kind of joked around about oh more spawn is uh and I actually do think more more spawn is is uh, you can never go wrong with uh but then you're taking away other pieces of this army and then it, it won't function the same you know so that's a it's a big consideration and you've kind of built something that that seems like it can really effectively get ahead and stay ahead on points which is not something i think people would expect out of death guard but is there let's say we're going into an environment to where mortal wounds will be generated by more of the armies that you see on average in the deeper rounds of the tournament it, it what threshold of mortal wounds, if that's really going to be a thing, do you think you need to start altering your list? And what would you alter it? What would you put in there? So if the, I mean, we, we, we've seen the, the sort of mortal wounds needs to come by. If that comes true, then I think, like I said, this will be a time to sort of switch to MSU Blight Lords. I would probably swap... I'm already considering dropping the Bolt Gun Plague Marines for two units of colors just for more action monkeys. Um, just so they can go and do do extra actions and score some extra points because they again I didn't have any at the time. Spawn would be a good reaction, possibly even put in a third rhino if that's if that you know comes down to it. If mortal wounds do become a huge thing, I would probably drop the minimum squads of death shrouds because they're just too easy to pick up for mortal wounds, especially if they if you have death shroud terminators it's quite easy and and rhinos and spawn and stuff like that it becomes too easy for your opponent to pick up grind against you. Um, big difference between having to get 15 mortal wounds on Blight Lords compared to 9 on Death Shroud. So that would probably be something I'd look at changing, would be dropping Death Shroud, maybe upping the spawn to a higher amount, MSU Blight Lords, potentially trying to get another Rhino in somewhere. Um, I don't really think the play company would... Well, the play company change... Maybe if I just have to kill stuff with shooting, I could go to an extra for the AP versus the not versus the non-marine armies. But again, that's when we're stepping into. Am I weakening my list to make it good against the hard stuff? Yeah, thank you for those insights, Aiden. It's been awesome having you. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been cool to talk to people, especially you yeah. two. <laughs> uh, well, I, I hope that the listeners appreciate it. I really want to thank people for for subscribing and being here uh, for part two of this conversation, where we have gotten really deep and. It, and I, th- I think we have. We've kind of given some folks to think about, uh, stuff to think about. And with the meta will change. Like this meta is is developing over the next several weeks. You know, I think before we see see things solidify, especially once the new tier needs to get out there and the data slate truly ripples across you know, our community. And I think we've given some people uh, some like tidbits, some morsels uh, to prepare them for that. And it's, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> it's really been. Thanks, to everybody. Be invited on and stuff. Oh yeah, well, we, well, 
I will, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again because this is not the only tournament you're going to be taking down. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> pleasure having you on again, Aiden, for sure. Uh, yeah, y'all, y'all have a great rest of y'all's week, and we'll see y'all next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.